0: It's episode 9, Disclaimer. We, the cast and primary contributors of the Where Are We podcast, have discussed and wanted to acknowledge the recent high volume of chatter on social media regarding the Therian community. We also wanted to state that we do not intend to discuss these matters generating the chatter on this podcast. We, among ourselves, have differences of opinion, and endeavor to respect those differences and each other. With this in mind, we encourage everyone to step back, take a deep breath, and turn down the collective volume, giving consideration to different points of view. In the end, we have the common thread of being Therians, and that shared experience, through respectful dialogue and understanding, can be common ground to build upon. Thank you. Sing us the song of your people.
1: Aldi, welcome to this episode 9 of the Where Are We podcast. I'm your host, Zephyr Nazubi, and tonight I'm joined by Barracks. Hey, Lightpaws, hey. Oop. hey. <laughs> Blaze. Owl. Blue Wolf. Owl. Storm Dancer. Hey. And Tiger Acolyte.
2: Chuff, chuff.
1: All right. We are going to go into a new segment that we're going to try to do. I'm going to call it the Therian Library Club segment for now. I figured it'd be kind of cool if we. Get together every now and then uh, during this podcast and talk about some media that we're going through that is either kind of just helping us get through putting a smile on our faces helping us question things or i don't know just things that other therians may enjoy it doesn't necessarily have to be something specific to therianthropy but i just think it'd be kind of cool if we start sharing content like that one of the <laughs> one of the books that blue recommended to me actually is uh it's a series called freelance familiars and it it stars a cougar and a pita cougar (laughs) yeah a a, a pita (laughs) cougar (laughs) (laughs) i kind of relate a little too much to this cougar (laughs) so i think the uh the writing's a little bit too accurate but it's uh it's a fantastical kind of adventure it's fun. I, I think that the writer kind of is spot on as far as his description of what a, a cougar may experience in this world. So I found myself at times like kind of getting phantom shifty because I was uh, listening to a, a verbal description aloud of things that I actually experienced. So it was kind of interesting. And Blue, you, you said you've got some other suggestions as far as media. Well, obviously, for nice familiars, they have. Uh, I was introduced to it through
0: Audible initially. There's actually five books; only three are on Audible at this point. Daniel Porter is the author there, and it's it's just a fun listen to, honestly. There's a psychotic, I guess you would say, squirrel in it too. Uh, has <laughs> there's some, a lot uh, of psychotic people in it. Well, yeah, there there are some. <laughs> there are quite a few psychotic people in it. It's an interesting world, uh, magic magical world as well. So. Yeah, uh, but it it really is an enjoyable uh, little storyline that he's got going there. I'm looking forward to it, Uh, what else he can do. And he's got a couple other books uh, coming out, Uh, got werewolves and such involved too. So we'll
1: see where it goes. Yeah, I'm disappointed that they've only got the first three on Audible, but to be fair, this is the first time I've actually listened to something fully on Audible, so... I appreciate that recommendation. I thought I was not going to enjoy the experience at all, and instead, I kind of marathon through it. So, yeah, it, it's easy to do once you get into it. Um, yes,
0: it, it's a good way for me to kill time between podcasts and audible books when I'm, you know, doing dishes or, or whatever around the house or out taking care of snow. But. I digress on those things uh, one of the other ones that uh, i would recommend it's an older series now uh, the kitty normal series um, started with kidney kitty in the midnight hour which was a premise of a werewolf who comes out on uh, a radio broadcast while being hunted it's it, it i think it's a uh, 10 or 12 books i can't remember it's someplace in there the first few are okay they're not phenomenal. The series does get its legs pretty quick there. And I, I would say around book three was where uh, she started to really hit her stride. And then book four and through, I thoroughly enjoyed it. She just, she turned away from some of the things that weren't working and really stuck with what worked. It was a very, very enjoyable series. Um, I read those as they came out and they're easily found on paperback.
3: How, you said it's an old old read, like how old, 80s?
0: No, not even the 80s. uh, Early 2000s. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for me, it's old because it's sitting up in my bookcase and I've read through them all already. But for a lot of people, they may not have heard about it. Mr. Stormy put me on to the Patricia Briggs whole series. I'm slowly getting through some of those, too. It's, again, werewolf fantasy series. uh, Kind of
2: fluff at the end of the day, but uh, sometimes it's just really (laughs) enjoyable to, to read some of that stuff. I do have a book myself. There's the Anita Blake series, which I would not recommend for younger viewers. That's more of a mature book series, but a lot of what they cover with their wares and that, they speak of animals inside them. That sort of reminds me, in a way, a, a lot about the parallels that run through the Theron community. So I'd say give it a look. Uh, the first You can skip the first books. That's got nothing to do with it, but It's been a while. It's in there somewhere. Take a look around, skim through it at a library or something. See if it's something that interests you.
4: Yeah, that's more of, I guess, a a quote-unquote classic. Not that old, I don't think, but but, but Mm -hmm. it just means you, it's relatively easy to find out information about it and perhaps other folks who've read it. A book
5: I have always found to be a fun read that people might want to check out is Hair of the Dog by Brett Davis. It's kind of a tongue in cheek take on werewolves becoming accepted in society and all that. And it's got some nice twists in it, some very amusing scenes. But I think,
0: you know, for those that love werewolf fiction, it's right up their alley. Then finally, you know, one of the greats, uh, the late great now, uh, Terry Pratchett, he has his entire Discworld universe is monstrous it's over 30 books it is it covers everything and he was just a brilliant brilliant writer he uh one the the watch series within it involves a werewolf as well i remember reading the first one she appears in is men at arms but then it continues to kind of coast through uh, the entire watch series so if you look at the whole timeline of the series that would make more sense to know if the watcher if you know of the series and you know what i'm talking about but she appears in quite a few books i remember going through a couple of them like the fifth element uh probably the fifth elephant not element elephant (laughs) where they revisit back to her uh home country which is very similar to germany and just some of the conflict that is in her you know reading it and saying what Tharian does he know (laughs) Very very insightful man uh, was a terrible loss when he when he passed uh, a few years back now, very very tongue in cheek in a lot of ways, brilliant brilliant humor, and uh, I just I've enjoyed pretty much every book that he has re- written that I've read, so just another one to throw out there.
3: Uh, I was going to add on to that that it was adapted uh, by the BBC and it's currently airing on BBC America, a television adaptation of The Watch. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. But it's unfortunately suffers from the humor being toned down and the visual effects are... Uh, they leave something yeah. to be desired.
0: Yeah, I've got uh, Hogfather um, on DVD here. I know they did Color and Magic and a couple others as well. If you look past some of the production quality that goes into some of these because they're they're complicated books uh, the way he writes them but they're very very brilliantly put together and the people who are making the movies truly do have a passion for them but at the same time it's not a blockbuster it's not going to make millions of dollars so they're on a budget so they they take liberties at times and they they have some good production aspects and they have some mediocre production aspects but it's a it's a tradition here around the new year to watch Hogfather between uh, my spouse and I. So we're not at the point that we're ready to have our daughter experience that because it will ruin some of the mystique of uh, Christmas and the Santa Claus storyline and everything like that. But uh, in short, the storyline of that, just because it's an interesting one, is Killing, killing, the, killing Santa Claus by Way of the Tooth Fairy. So figure that one out, but it makes perfect sense when you watch it or read it.
1: Wait, <laughs> so somebody killed Santa Claus? Uh,
0: attempted
4: to. Oh, so he's okay.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, sure.
4: Whatever help you sleep at night. He's the Hogfather. It's not Santa Claus. He's the
0: Hogfather. It just happens some a remarkable similarity to Christmas. <laughs> that's all.
5: Yes, he's okay, so there Here we go. you go. Have a cookie <laughs> and a pat on the head.
0: That was Laced with Catnip. Watch out. <laughs> Zoomies.
6: <laughs> one of my favorite books that I revisit now and again is called The Sight, and it's by David Clement Davies. He wrote a sequel to this one called Fell, which is about the main character's brother, but I didn't find it quite as enjoyable or impactful as the first one. The first one, it centers around a pack of wolves, and they're anthropomorphic in the sense that they um, act like humans and have human-like legends and what have you not, but there's no shape-shifting involved. And the author just did a really, really fantastic, brilliant job of looking at how raw feelings and instincts and fears kind of color the way we believe things and look at the world And the main character in this book, Larka, is a white wolf who has this peculiar ability to see things with her third eye. And she can interact with the spirit world and do all kinds of strange things that scare all the rest of the wolves around her. And by revealing this, her and her brother get pulled into a really strange, dark prophecy. And it was just a fascinating hair-tingling read at how legends grow and evolve. So I really highly recommend The Site by David Clement Davies.
0: The other one that comes to mind for me was uh, the Bitten series. I would say that, you know, I I'd actually talked to Badger about this one before. I can't say that I enjoyed um, all of her writing style, and I can't say that I enjoyed the main character in uh, a multiple, you know, the books that I've read, but the secondary characters, the supporting characters, the backstory and the depth that she puts into them are just brilliant. Just made the entire book very, very enjoyable consistently to the point that I actually went out and she had uh, made a book about the secondary characters to go more into the backstory. And I purposely went and got that one because they were just so well- developed it was like i'm trying to figure out if it was just like nerves on on her part when writing some of the books and i haven't read the whole series by any stretch but if i make the plot too complicated or anything like that what will happen will I be able to get published which is a legitimate concern obviously uh but all those secondary characters they just had this truly amazing backstory and depth of character that was
4: just like i i <laughs> i'm rooting for these guys <laughs> this what the uh, Sci-Fi Channel series is based on? Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, I would say loosely based on, but yes, based right, on. Right, right, right.
1: So I know in the previous podcast, i talked about uh, going through anxiety treatment and sometimes not having so many successes with that. So I kind of wanted to bring something in a different vein into my suggestions. But this one It's going to be The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It is something that my psychiatrist told me to pick up about a year and a half ago, and I did, and I absolutely never found time to read it. But thanks to Blue's suggestion that I give Audible a try, I went ahead and I gave it an actual listen, and it's kind of helped me out quite a bit with a lot of the things that have been going on in the last few months. It's very easy to get tripped up and to fall into like anxiety cycles and to get sucked into things like social media, uh, and to to basically be overwhelmed and overstimulated by the world around. And I think the book has been a tremendous tool for my own personal efforts and trying to kind of center myself and ground myself and shake some of that anxiety off. So I definitely want to give that a recommendation for those who, uh, especially who may be having some difficulties that are anxiety centric really, though, who isn't in the state of the world, you know, but I, it's given me quite a lot to chew on. I know I've kind of backed away and uh, I've kind of been a recluse the last few weeks. And part of it is because I'm trying to kind of find myself in the mess of the world. And uh, I think it's done a good job in helping me to kind of get back to who I am. So definitely give that a check out if it sounds like it could be useful to you. The second, oh. uh, T.A., what the hell was that uh, Super Animal?
2: Oh, yeah, um, Super Animal Royale?
1: The videos they did for it are hilarious. I didn't even know about it until we started playing it. to kind of bring it back down from something serious um you know don't forget to hang out with your friends and do fun derpy stuff too uh we were playing super animal royale and I I'm really bad at it but we still did pretty good sometimes (laughs) uh Badger was playing too Badger you were the the lightning tiger right
5: yeah I was the lightning the the storm tiger (laughs) I think it was called
1: uh I I was the pink one Was
3: the Nothing wrong guy. with that.
1: <laughs> I mean,
5: we did have a lot of fun with it, you know, trying to figure out where to go. and.
2: Badger, where are you going? Kill no, that's the wrong yeah. way.
1: <laughs> I am I'm super sorry if you were a, a random person who got assigned to our team, because I know we absolutely didn't pay any attention to what you were doing, because it was just like me and the badger and tiger was <laughs> kind of like doing our own thing. So, oops. <laughs> oops. Um and I I'm, I'm disappointed in you people who killed me.
2: Very disappointed. You're, you're not going
1: to live I'm that not. down. <laughs> so yeah, um segments hopefully short and sweet uh but hopefully you guys get the idea. We would love to have your suggestions for other kind of media. It does not have to be books, does not have to be audiobooks. It can be TV shows, it can be anything. Uh just let us know if something is helping you get through, you know, that pandemic that we're going through uh something's helping you ease your state of mind something's helping you get in touch with therianthropy or even humanity just kind of toss things our way and it sounds like definitely if you want some werewolf fiction talk to wolf mage
6: yeah
5: i could probably uh just don't read what he wrote
1: to some (laughs) fiction that would amuse you (laughs) amuse Oh, i'm scared now Yes, (laughs) <laughs> yes, amuse. <laughs> Alright, so wrapping that up. You guys know that we have been soliciting for Dear Badgie questions, and we actually happened to get a very sincere question, so the Where Are We Podcast crew decided that we're gonna take some time to answer as a group for this one. Blue, if you want to, go ahead and take it away. Absolutely. So the question follows. Dear Badgie. I've never been a
0: spiritual or religious person, though I've known I wasn't human since my earliest memories. When I was younger, I hesitated to identify my experience as a therianthropic because it had been often described to me as a spiritual experience, and I was a staunch teenaged atheist and had thus no time or use for such silliness as spirituality. I was quite content to study as much as I could about wolves and dogs and their relationship with humans throughout history, and did so with little distraction for the first two decades of my life developing a connection with bear, moose, tiger, raccoon, and porcupine along the way. My studies took a pause for a few years when I was being trapped in a situation in which I was being tortured by my then-boyfriend. I came out the other side with a very bitter taste for the idea of ever being powerless in such a terrible situation again. So I started practicing witchcraft, partially as a means of feeling like I had some control of my life, and partially to pick up where from where I would left off in my journey uh, to be as close as possible to my stereotype. What advice would you give me? Are there any resources you'd recommend? Know of a website I should check out geared towards Darians using witchcraft instead of witches, wanting to make others think they've taken the form of a non-human animal.
1: Your friendly neighborhood werewolf, arcane canine. All right, guys, opening the floor. So if you have any insights, go ahead and dive in. I know for me, you know, I had I had an upbringing uh, in the Catholic
0: Church. It wasn't a negative experience. I know for for a lot of people it was, and I I sympathize and I empathize and I I sorry that that ha- if something happened to you, obviously I am not part of that anymore. But uh, it was in my teenage years as I started to awaken, though I didn't know what it was at the time because we didn't have the internet then. Not to, at least not anywhere near the extent we do now. It was a understanding experience of you know learning and growth, and I knew there was a void that I was trying to fill. Um, Part of me wanted to be the scientist, the atheist, and part of me had this pull that there's something more. I couldn't quite explain. And uh, it led me to, you know, do some research and exploration and things. And I didn't really get into, um, you know, too much into therianthropy in the way that you think of a werewolf or anything like that until much, much later, it was uh, a void that I tried to fill with different experiences and different philosophies and spiritual approaches now settling to how I just describe as a, a First Nation and uh, a Taoist approach. Much more of a philosophy-based. But I can understand that, that void, that conflict of going from wanting to understand from a more scientist rational point of view to something a little bit more open and, and experienced and what is there and there's things that I can't deny that happened in my life no matter how hard I try that was another driving force for me so I can certainly relate to that and then I did have a, a point where everything stopped quite literally I felt I made a lot of progress I I was understanding things I was uh, toying with uh, different approaches and, and Literally everything just stopped. Nothing worked. All the progress I had made felt like a backslide. And after that, it was a few years, and then I eventually started to open up to what I now, you know, have been following since uh, for 15 to 18 years, someplace in there. Now, um, I had to go back and look at the details of exactly when to narrow it down, but. Uh, I, I can understand those pauses and that and that gap and in all that stuff. So I don't, I can't necessarily relate to the trauma aspect of it specifically. Um, but yeah, I can, I can see eventually you, you grow, you evolve, you change, your perspective changes, and something inside you just says there's there's something, there's something more. What is it? And you got to go search for it. As a wolf, you know that's just kind of what we do. We're the pathfinders. That's
1: uh, one piece of perspective. I thought you guys were the leaders. We are pathfinders.
6: (laughs) We're often self-guided as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's part of the problem, because we never are truly
4: lost. Mm -hmm. Despite feeling like it at times. I mean, I, I definitely relate to, you know, the whole, you know, not starting out as a spiritual thing, because, you know, I was never raised with any particular religious or spiritual beliefs and I'm I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before but you know one reason I thought you know for a long time that I didn't sort of didn't sort of belong you know is because I'd never particularly thought much about spirituality or had any spiritual experiences that I knew of or anything like that it took took sort of a while and a lot of people you know tell me otherwise to you know uh, internalize that it was not necessary. you know, it's not like a be-all, end-all necessity or anything like that.
5: Growing up, I, too, was in what, what I would refer to as search mode. Upon discovering myself, I tried out different paths of beliefs, belief systems or whatnot. It sounds to me like you were looking for something to follow and you found it it may not it may be your path for so long but things can change and that's okay but as far as um advice stick with what you're doing cherish those experiences just live your life for yourself live you know be you don't be afraid to express yourself uh, in any animalistic manners. And as far as resources, I'm not familiar with specific websites out there for uh, Therian witchcraft or Wicca or whatever you want to call it. But I know uh, there are a few forums out there that I would recommend where you could look around and maybe you can find a site or a, uh, someone you can connect with on that path. Therian Guide would be one of them. And Wherelist would be another that I would recommend.
3: I definitely agree with uh, with the badger on that, um, that uh, you know, joining one of those websites and having a discussion with other people uh, might be helpful. I personally don't know from witchcraft. I've always been a very spiritual person, but it has not been uh, a form of spirituality where I f- wanted to put my will onto things, which I, I understand that that's, that's part of how witchcraft works, but I could definitely use an education in that myself. But yeah, that's unfortunately the, the only advice that I would have is is the same that, uh, that Storm Dancer gave. You know, you're you're much more likely to find someone who is at a similar place and on a similar path in their journey when you broaden your circle of people you're talking to
0: yeah just to touch on that i I would say that wicca and witchcraft magic uh, as it were yes there's an aspect of your putting your will out and out into the universe to influence it is it forcing your will upon it i think you're you're splitting hairs in that situation i i do take a different approach as you know bear it's more of a work with guides to say you know i don't see all ends but i want to bring this to your attention and then see see how the influence happens but yeah i just wanted to make sure that i, I wanted to make a you know it's a it's a nuanced correction but i think it's there's a necessary a, correction
6: there's a very very um, important balance and i've just recently learned the words for these is a balance between invocation and evocation and it's just about the flow of direction in which energy is moving that's very important in magic work yeah, I started off being raised in an atheist household and by the time I was 10 even before I had my Therian awakening, I started to have, feel a very, very deep seated sense of dissatisfaction like that void you were talking about like there's something missing there's something more, something that they're not telling me but um, conventional Christianity didn't seem to have the answers that I was looking for, especially after when I was 16, I experienced a very sudden uh, Therian awakening. And right away, I began having these profound experiences and insights, which I could only describe as spiritual. So for me, my, my journey of spiritual pursuit is self-guided, and it was inspired entirely by my Therian me Up until very, very recently. Well, even it's still the case now, I suppose, I'm a kind of spiritual eclectic. I've never felt that it's right to commit to any one practice. Just like I never felt that it was right to commit entirely to science. I think all perspectives have some truths to offer and they all have some truths that are not necessarily wrong, but perhaps less accurate or less helpful. And after 25 years and after having finally found a community that I felt comfortable opening up to a little bit, I'm only now beginning to start to understand more details about paganism and Wicca and witchcraft and all the other things which to me before seemed way too abstract for me to comprehend because I came from that place of scientific thinking. It was always way too, way too skeptical to entertain such thoughts. But as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more and more time under my belt of trying to understand my own experiences, I ended up in a place where I can understand and accept some of the ideas of magic practice, which before when I was younger, I could not. And my final point on reading that was I understand and totally relate with the need to reach out to magic or to some spiritual force as a means of protection and a means of self-defense. I totally relate to that. It's obviously one of the, the big drawing things that attracts people to it in the first place. But I also always think it wise to caution others not to see it as just a tool or a weapon. A real spiritual pursuit is something deeply personal, it's not something you just pick up and use, it's a way of life. It's a way of seeing life and it's something that grows and evolves over time and needs to be adaptable.
0: That's why I I like using the term philosophy a lot more now,
1: yes, definitely.
6: Mm -hmm. Because then it can incorporate both psychological and spiritual factors without being exclusive.
1: So, uh, reflection my own personal journey. Again, I've talked about some of this too. Um, I grew up in a household that uh, I went through a lot of abuse, and I tried to not let it define me. But at the same time, some of that trauma does define you. It's part of why I'm in therapy now, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I th- there have been times where I've been almost desperate to learn about spirituality because I think it's going to give me those quick fix answers. It's going to give me some magical remedy, something else along those lines. And there have been times where yes, uh, things that I've learned or observed or witnessed have gotten me to the next stage of things in life. But I've found more often than not, like everyone else is saying here, just keeping an open mind and trying to learn what works for you is the important part. I see some Therians who, they, they want to connect with a specific spirit guide, and so they beeline towards sources that they think will put them in touch with it. Well, that may not work for them. In my experience, guides kind of come and go, as they please, depending on the situations that you have in your life. I think that these things are all different tools that you need to have in your toolbox, so to speak. There is time for investment in spirituality, and mindfulness seems to be the biggest thing there. Just kind of being able to separate from the things that are going on around you enough to really analyze what's going on. Without that, there are a lot of pitfalls that you can fall into.
0: I'll agree with you on a lot of that, Seth. It's keeping an open mind. Keeping the toolbox, you know, full and understanding that you know, just because you want a guide, does not mean that guy is going to deal with you. They may tolerate you, they may be pissed off at you, um, but look for the ones that want to work with you. That's an important thing, um, and it may be something you don't, it, it may be something you don't want to deal with. Sorry,
1: it's what you need. There's also this concept of be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Definitely yeah like sometimes you, uh, you you would it would be really fun to have the coyote spirit offer you guidance until you realize that it's making the Craig robot sabotage your podcast <laughs> and <the> recording <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um,
5: and
6: it,
1: yes so uh, I guess kind of going back to my own personal recommendations I already talked about the book The Power of Now from Eckhart Tolle and granted it's not necessarily along these lines but I still think that as someone who's experienced tremendous trauma and has tried to move past it the book may be a good starting point for getting past some of that pain getting past some of those roadblocks and finding new direction I think that it's Uh, uh, It was already brought up earlier, but I think it's a wonderful thing to be open and vulnerable within the community, too, because I find that there are so many different types of spirituality and spiritual practices within the community that if you do have that open mind, you're going to find a lot of answers that you may not have thought about before, but you you may find things that work for you. As far as what websites to go to, the the ones where people aren't assholes,
0: that narrows it down. <laughs> um, no, but Seth, I think you know the other thing because we've talked a lot about it with trauma. Um, you know, I've had my own, you know, not necessarily in the same way that other people have. Uh, I think every single one of us here has had some sort of trauma that has really impacted our lives significantly. Um, at various points in our life. An important distinction that I think I've said it before <coughs>
1: on the podcast the is who just P-shifted? <laughs> Badger.
0: There's a difference between healing and restoration and people get it confused. Healing is allowing it to mend come together there's going to be a scar there's going to be the memory there's going to be a history that you cannot escape that you have to learn to deal with but part of healing is learning to deal with it and accepting what happened even when it's painful restoration is making it never have happened you cannot restore from trauma you can heal friends, your family, those that support you, surround you, love you, your teospe, those are the ones who are going to help you with this. Don't be afraid to cut out the negative in your life. It's not going to help you. But Don't be afraid to heal. You don't have to hold on to the pain. You don't have to hold on to the poison and say, this is mine. And this is part of who I am. The scar is going to be there for life. Wear it with pride when you can. Not before you're ready.
1: Kind of just reflecting myself, because I know I'm probably <laughs> the worst... No, he's staring into it. I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably the worst person here for all of that, really. Yeah, I, I give, like, vague indications of some of the things that I've been through and some of the things that I'm going through, and I find that even now, with the things that have been going on, I really don't discuss what I'm going through with people, and it's it's trying to open up more has helped out. I mean, uh, people have been able to actually help me when they know what the fuck is going on in my head.
0: (laughs) You know? There are some people who will certainly do that. Um, It's, it is trust. You know, Uh, I think that we have trust amongst ourselves for the most part. Um, We respect each other. Uh, We care about each other. I think this is probably the most, the group that i'm most comfortable with outside of you know maybe my teacher and my my spouse to to share things with um you know and i don't share everything at this point but uh uh, it's getting closer but it's uh it's a difficult thing
1: Um, i I saw something interesting in a tweet (laughs) haha tweet twitter stay that stay away from twitter everybody just burn it burn it fire i've never been Don't get been away from get it. it just you if, already know that. if you value your mental health don't eat don't even think about twitter anyway i saw a tweet today and uh, it's again very reflective of myself because i know i've seen myself do this too and if someone's like hey i need to get off of this hell site it's just but i'm afraid to because what if i what if i'm not here when somebody actually needs me to be and that's something where, you know, lately I, I have distanced myself because I need to focus on the trauma that I've had and I need to focus on properly healing and I need to proper, properly put things into perspective. It's very hard to do that, especially depending on what kind of circumstances you come from. Some people are almost conditioned to think that they don't deserve the time for themselves. I think it's good to voice those concerns and make people aware that, Hey, you know, I may, I want to take some time for myself, but I want to make sure that people are taken care of too. Um, that, that lets other people know, Hey, okay, we're, we're going to have to kind of fill in your roles while you're not here. We absolutely need to find that balance where we take time for ourselves and we make sure that we're doing good too, individually. So, you know, it, it is about reaching out to your friends, making sure that they're not being immersed in things that are damaging to them, making sure that they're doing things that are fun, that are goofy, uh, that they're finding some enjoyment in life too. So, uh,. You are not responsible for healing everyone. I think, really... I I like to think of it as... If we can all do just a little bit better as a collective unit, as time goes on, that means that we've succeeded.
5: There's nothing wrong with helping others. But be sure you yourself are on stable ground before you do so. Because when we need healing, or I need healing, just saying, I'm not able to be my best or be there 100% when someone needs me so take care of yourself first make sure you're healed enough to where you can take on and help out other people
2: also know your limits agreed don't try and take on the world you're only one person
1: (laughs) i feel like i'm looking in a mirror again (laughs) (laughs) I'm, i'm very appreciative because Tiger has actually uh, taken to making sure that I don't overextend myself, and I th- honestly, it's done a tremendous amount of good for me. I guess sometimes we we stretch ourselves so thin and don't even realize that we're doing it, and it's kind of hard not to in the current state of things. But again, like if you see your friends are are overextending themselves too, maybe kind of just bring it to their attention. It can be difficult. Because there is this whole thing, the whole concept of fear of missing out. But it's, you know, God, how did I say it? I had it framed perfectly a few days ago. I feel like I personally was better for the community months ago. Because at that time, I think I was giving myself proper attention in the areas that I needed to. And I was growing as an individual and I was helping others grow. And I don't know. I just think like the, the chaos of the last few months has made me lose some of that. And I've spent some time trying to get back into that. Like I, I sincerely want to get back into more creative outlets. I enjoy that we're doing more group effort things in the community too podcast you were trying to make sure that this is a more steady production now um, I like that it, it, it's, it means a lot to me and I, I think I don't think I would be able to really be good at or, or really to be able to help with any of these things if I didn't return some of that attention to myself too And and to make sure that I am enriching my own life, you know, again, it's a thing of balance. Thank you to Arcane Canine for submitting that email. Hopefully we were able to provide some helpful information and we're happy to have the community reaching out to us for some insight. If you're listening in and you know of any resources that may be helpful, feel free to email us at wherearewepodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to arcane canine directly uh, you can look for anarcho mutt on twitter and if you want other ways to possibly get in touch with arcane canine just let us know as we get this podcast rolling uh, it's good to hear from you guys and we definitely hope to hear more from
6: you let's get rolling on the therians through time segment here on the where are we podcast We'll probably be running this, maybe not every episode, but, you know, we'll alternate with a, a specialized segment on different topics here and there. So you'll probably hear from me and from the Therians Through Time segments once every other second or third episode. I'm gonna get started with a quick synopsis, a thesis statement, really, about what this is all about. The ideas and experiences commonly described by modern day Therians bear striking parallels with the descriptions of many animal-centered spiritualities throughout all of human history. The goal of this segment is to explore these parallels and their relevance to the lives of Therians today, period. That is it, that is all, that is what we are doing here. Gonna give a quick run through description of the chronology that we're gonna be working on here, trying to roughly break down what we know about human history We're gonna start all the way back with the very earliest cave drawings that were done as much as 10 to 13,000 years ago. And then we'll start working our way forward through time. We'll look at some of the earliest civilizations like Egypt, move forward to the Greeks. We'll end off with a look at the Christian and post-Christian eras. We're going to talk extensively about what happened to a lot of these ancient animal centered cultures and spiritual beliefs after the rise of Christianity. And then we're going to end our therians through time tour with the modern era, the rise of science, and we'll end the tour with the birth of the modern day Therian community as we know it in the mid 1990s. Before we set out to do this, we need to address a couple of simple fundamental questions. In a nutshell, what we need is a kind of filter or lens with which we are going to be using to look at what's been left behind by these ancient people, because obviously we can't really know for sure what their worldviews actually looked and felt like. We can only make educated guesses at best. And that's even true for the most educated. With that in mind, what I want us all to think about and what I'm going to invite some group discussion about next is, as we say, we need to put together this kind of filter or lens to look at history. So let's start doing that by thinking about one of the next two questions. I want us to think about what are the most basic identifying features of Therianthropy as we know it today? I want to think about this from a perspective of physical sensations, mental and emotional experiences, in addition to the core identity and spiritual perspectives. And I also want us to be thinking about how ancient people who experienced these things or may have experienced these things, how might these people have expressed those experiences? What clues might they have left behind? And with that, I'm going to open the floor up to the rest of the crew here and invite a little bit of open discussion about what these experiences are and how we might identify possible signs of Therians in prehistory. The key identifying features of Therianthropy as I see it, I always like to break things down when they're complex. I try to break them down into physical, mental or emotional aspects. So for me, The physical aspects of Therianthropy are all about phantom limbs. The phantom sensations of having all the body parts that don't belong to a human body. Fairly basic concept. The emotional and the mental aspects, however, that's a little bit more subjective. From my perspective, anything that suggests either the ability to become an animal or identifying as an animal Anything at all suggestive of that represents a potential sign of theory entropy. For the core perspective on it, in my case, uh, it doesn't really matter to me whether I see it from a spiritual perspective or a psychological perspective because we're talking about core identity and to me they are the one and the same thing. The spirit is the core identity. From that perspective and looking back through history, Um, even at first glance, to me, it looks like there's abundant signs of it everywhere, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun comparing what we know about Therians today with what we saw in the past.
0: I think I agree with some of your points there. Where I would say I differ some is the identification of any aspect. I think there's plenty out there who feel a connection or have have an affinity for an animal. I think that saying any connection is a sign thereof is a little too broad for me. Mm. I think that it's important to make note where there really is something that's a little bit more resonant, a little bit deeper, a few more parallels, or multiple things kind of stacking on each other which point to the potential of it, and then realization or actualization of it is a whole different can of worms. I keep it a little bit more narrow in my definition for that, though I agree uh, with your, your point of the I'm not really someone who makes a different differentiation between mental or spiritual. It's kind of one and the same again to me too. I really resonate with mm-hmm. that point, but I, I think there's a lot to that. the The emotional aspect of it to me is probably the most important piece of it. You know, I have my phantom feelings and more annoying, probably at the same time comforting tails, paws, and ears is a common piece for me. But that's secondary to me. It's the Bond, the resonance that Wolf brings, little too, little extreme at times. You know, to the point of oblivious. Certain things just don't occur to me that would occur to a lot of people because that's just my met, my mind state uh, is a is a norm. It's very integrated, so mm-hmm. it's it, it's hard for me to separate those at this point where I am. Though I think earlier on it was more extreme. It was more swings. So. It's a a different perspective, and I think that I don't necessarily relate or can explain to someone just going through it as well as I could have maybe 10 years ago.
6: Right. It definitely seems like there's a scale within the community between those who have polarized swings on one end and those who are fully integrated on the other They don't experience much change at all. Hmm. And the thing is that at first glance, you'll see descriptions in mythology that kind of sounds similar to both ends of that scale. So that's an interesting point that we're going to hopefully have a snip at.
1: As far as the physical features go, one thing that is probably going to be coming up is dysphoria. Because while it is quite common for Therians to experience something like phantom limbs or things along those lines, there is also the experience where some Therians feel as though they are in the wrong body Altogether, they yearn to be in the physical body of whatever their stereotype is, and I'm sure if you go back through history, you can probably see some legends that kind of correlate with this sort of thing. Like, is this where werewolf legends stemmed from?
6: Mm-hmm.
1: People who experienced this in the past and didn't have the same kind of understanding. Is this? And you know, how were they culturally impacted based off that?
6: The shapeshifter lore in particular is of interest because it stayed so popular for so long and also because these people pursued that experience to the absolute extreme ends. And their ultimate goal was to experience being in the body of an animal, which very much, like you said, speaks to that core dysphoria feeling that many of us experience so that's an interesting point
1: i've always kind of thought that it was funny because i'm pretty sure i've mentioned this before but in one of my literature classes we were going over the the epic of gilgamesh and there's the character of enkidu who runs around and he's wearing a wolf pelt and again this is uh, i want to say the earliest surviving recorded piece of literature and it talks about someone wearing a pelt and being animalistic. And I know we can't really go back in time and ask, you know, what, what was this based off of? Where did this come from? But it, it's an interesting point to start speculating, I think.
6: And it's also interesting to point out that we now know that such things were going on and being painted on cave walls many thousands of years before Gilgamesh. So it really, really to me drives home the point that this was once something that used to be common and accepted as perfectly normal.
5: It's not as recent as we would think it is. It's There's right. a it's lot not. of uh, evidence in past history that points to the physical, mental and emotional experiences of, you know, our ancestors back in the day. Exactly. It was
0: very normal to look to nature to explain certain things and experience certain things and take certain behaviors, too. So I think there was a a tendency to follow some of that. Or if you were closer to it, you know, closer to the source and not so uh, withdrawn from nature as we find the current society, I think you'd see a lot more of an acceptance associated with it, or at least embracing of it.
6: I, I certainly agree with that. and. It seems that this idea of humans being something disconnected from nature is actually a very recent development that's only happened within the last thousand years or so. It kind of goes hand in hand that with the rise of this worldview came the fall of this view where man and animal are so intricately linked. It's, uh, It's amazing how much is actually out there for those who have the desire and the will to go looking for it.
2: Across my mind, as we're looking to define the lens through which we view theoranthropy, I got to thinking, well, when, when did theoranthropy first become a thing in this modern world? When, when did a bunch of people get together and sort of agree, okay, this is what Theoreanthropy is. And from there, they were in control of that definition but as more and more people control the definition became looser and looser, and it it's sort of a snowball effect as people say, eh, that's close enough to what I believe. You grow it out, and that person who's a fringe is now adjacent to another person who's a fringe. Well, that person thinks they're that. Well, I'm close enough to that person, so I guess I'm one too. And it keeps going and going and going until eventually you start to This is my hypothesis here. You you start to get so big, especially in certain branches that go off in their own direction with the definition, so fringe. You start to you start to get confused. With people think, oh, um, I like really like animals, so I must be one too.
6: Yeah, yeah. I think what you're describing is actually a pretty good analogy description for how community understanding grows, but. It all falls apart and that snowball collapses when you get you know, a person who has had no contact with said community who's reporting the same experience. How does that happen?
4: Honestly, while I was listening, I was just wondering if there ever was a time, you know, when there was like, I guess, a I generally accepted definition, it just, this has always felt like something to me that seems a little too personal, for I guess.
2: Um, oh for sure. I would like to ask if Bear has something to add on this considering he was back in the alt horror days.
6: I was going to suggest turning to Bear for insight on the genesis of our community as we know it today, which is the end point of our tour.
3: I mean, I do agree with Blackpaw's that one of the one of the issues is that while there are generally accepted Kind of. Oh, this is what therianthropy is. It's not. The trouble is, it, it doesn't fit many people. Like uh, there are people who who say, oh, well, that's what it is. But it doesn't. It doesn't really say what it is. It just says what it. It gives a definition without giving meaning. If that makes sense.
6: Yeah, the whole point never was to define therianthropy. The whole point was to define what kind of descriptions might potentially...
3: Yeah, I've I've looked at it as, although I can't say for sure, oh, this is what therianthropy is, I know it when I see it. If that makes sense? Yeah. Like, um, there's a vibe. It's
6: kind of almost... Yeah. Yeah, intuitive part to it as well.
3: Yeah, but as for the early days, I mean, it arises spontaneously, because the people who showed up on AHWW, they were people who had experienced therianthropy for their entire lives prior to joining the news group. The reasons for joining the news group varied from just werewolf enthusiasts to people who were werewolf enthusiasts because of this experience of animality. But we were all sort of drawn to that place because of the similarities. Uh, of experience and those experiences arise naturally in a population. So it's only been the internet that's allowed those people who have those kinds of experiences to come together.
6: that's an extremely important point I think right there is that these experiences are something fundamental and they've been going on for a long time (laughs) and it's been documented.
3: If we talked about the cave drawings in more depth, um, there are cave drawings 15,000 years ago of partially human, partially stag people on cave drawings where, while we can't know exactly what was going on in their heads, they certainly felt enough of a connection to these critters, whether it was hunting magic or whether it was something else, to uh, draw themselves symbolically as part animal.
6: Yeah, and they, it was so important to them that they drew that and nothing else. It's not like they were making a tally of how many fish they got that day. There was something incredibly fundamentally important about those
4: images. Is there a specific example that you're thinking of that I could uh, look up for some time?
6: That'll be the topic of the next segment. Okay. We're gonna zero right on the cave drawings and we're gonna talk about that. I'm going to try and scare up some more um, resources for that. I think House of Chimera has indicated that they had some info on that period of time and what have you. Not. So that'll be what we're zeroing in on, on the next time I run this segment. Okay. Anybody else?
1: So another point that I would like to bring up before we close this segment out is that what used to be spiritual may now be considered intellectual or scientific. Uh, the understanding that we have of some of these phenomenon has changed with the knowledge that we've obtained through time. It's something that I find kind of interesting in the current Therian community. When I first got into it, it seemed like there was a spiritual versus psychological camp divide. And to me, it was weird because uh, like, why? what if both are the same? Like, I think Blue mentioned it earlier. I personally think that it's it is the same thing just two different lenses two different ways of looking at something
6: exactly
5: so it just depends on the way the person the individual looks at their own personal theory
6: and yet when you look at enough personal descriptions of it you start to see a handful of fundamental things that we have in common
0: right the common ground is the most important thing
6: and it's that common ground that we're zeroing in on to to put this lens thing together, so to speak.
4: Exactly. Oh no, I was just, I couldn't help thinking that, you know, at least to me when it comes to things that are judged like, you know, spiritual or, uh, or anything, you know, quote unquote, you know, supernatural or non-materialistic like that. Like I couldn't help thinking that just because there is, you know, a scientific materialist explanation, understanding or explanation for it, seem to me that that alone doesn't necessarily cut off everything else, if that makes sense. Right. Just because of the nature of what, you know, non-materialistic stuff is.
6: Exactly. There's the description of the materialistic aspects of what we know of as reality, but there's non-materialistic aspects as well, and things that are subjective. And the point of how perspective has changed because of the rise of science, that's something that we're going to actually probably wanted to devote a significant amount of discussion to, once we get towards the end of the theory of Anthropy Through Time series, we'll be talking about how science took all these things that used to be have a spiritual explanation, we now have a scientific reason for them. And in that way, spirituality in general has been kind of pushed into the background and became very something that was very abstract to a lot of people now. Whereas back in those ancient days, man, that was absolutely everything.
1: So by ancient days, do you mean HWW?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
6: Back in my day,
1: <laughs> it, it is uh, concerning because I, I really think it's. It depends on the individual. The uh, what's the word he used a minute ago? Where it's it's become so abstract mm-hmm. that it does seem like nonsense to some people. And if you try to discuss with them why they feel that way, they can't give you anything other than an abstract answer, and it's—it's
6: it's frustrating.
1: It's—it's it's not always like that, <laughs> but so as as the engineer who also dabbles in the spiritual bits, I think it's it's appropriate to look at the scientific perspective as well as the spiritual. So,
6: absolutely agree.
0: Agreed. And I think that, you know, to your point, some, you know, some people are comfortable talking about what they've experienced, which is the reason that they have a a spiritual foundation, which usually is something that's surpassing current understanding of something. Maybe it's maybe it's something a little bit deeper. Maybe it's a, a resonant feeling or something like that. For me, I know it's both. But at the same time, there's people that get very nervous about bringing those things up. Um, there's been a lot of attacks over over time of if you can't replicate it, if you can't prove it, if you can't give some sort of a hard evidence to it, then it never happened, and you're just making it up. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that piece of it. So I can certainly understand why some people be hesitant to share.
6: Absolutely. You
0: know, but at the same time. You know, it's it, it, keeping an open mind, keeping ourselves pulling back the reaction and saying, I'm hearing you out. I want to choose my words. I want to think and I want to give pause to what if uh, I think that creates a, a more a safer space for these conversations to happen. And maybe there is a lot more commonality that you would find. So it's, you know, the, the pot shots and the attacks are very easy and pretty common nowadays
1: language and semantics are killer it's it's amazing to me how i can actually see two people describe the same experience through again two different lenses it's same experience essentially but they cannot meet in the middle because of specific words that they're using or something along those lines too i i do agree that there is this kind of like hard-headed stubbornness that i see often we need to be more open-minded and i agree uh less reactive I think sometimes semantics get in the way of the larger picture.
3: Honestly, that idea of a lens is kind of important, I think, because when I look at my own therianthropic experiences, many of the things seem to be kind of how I view them. For instance, I grind my teeth, but I believe the reason I grind my teeth, even though ordinary folks, everyone grinds their teeth, I put the blame, the reasoning, because I'm a bear. If I wasn't a bear, would I still grind my teeth when I was stressed? Don't know. But by viewing it through that lens, it helps to make those behaviors make sense for me. It does. But
1: again, you don't want to go too far into the abstract either. I know some people try to use therianthropy as a, a justification for every bit of their personality, and don't, that's not necessarily how it works either. So, completely
3: fair. I wasn't meaning to imply that at all. Just, just as a, it was the first example that popped into my head.
1: Right. No, it's a matter. It's a matter of balance, and I think it's a point of being. It's having a degree of scrutiny with yourself, but also having a degree of honesty and fairness with yourself.
6: Hmm.
0: I I know a few of you guys have heard before. I like to use the, the fire analogy, where you've got four people standing around a fire. One in the east, one in the west, one in the south, one in the north. It's the same exact fire you're all looking at, but everyone sees something completely different. So that should be a consideration that maybe we just have a different perspective on the same exact situation. Uh, it doesn't make it any less doesn't make it any less real. You just don't
3: see what the other person is seeing. Plato's allegory of the cave. It's about people who uh, are live in a cave and they are unaware of the outside world, only seeing their shadows on the wall and trying to figure out. You know what what they're experiencing through only the limited view that they have
6: yeah
1: sometimes you're the person in the middle who is the one that's on fire and you're like i'm fine this is fine thanks guys for watching (laughs) me
6: (laughs) sad but true (laughs) Mm,
2: well um I feel like I would be remiss not to bring this up, given the coincidence. But um, we bring about, uh, we brought up about spirituality side of uh, philanthropy and um, this move towards empirical evidence. Yeah, yeah. I. I read about the Enlightenment age, which is sort of the defining, delineating period age between a system of society that was mostly spiritual and not especially concrete with how they drove their society in terms of, oh, this does this, therefore this. It was more of, uh, you believe this because I say so. And I feel like there's this drive, this, this drive that still continues from that age to divest ourselves from this sort of dark age of society that represents the before time that this enlightenment age is a positive thing that we need to pursue and continue we need to push ourselves away from these abstract things we can't prove and unfold the universe before us so i feel like that's sort of an, a subconscious uh, drive and not just in terms of theory but just in the world in general
1: with all that said i'd like to thank everyone for listening in and for putting up with our crazy antics please email us at wherearewepodcast at gmail.com or feel free to get a hold of any cast member through any avenue you're used to. Comments on YouTube and Podbean, things like that work perfectly fine. You can feel free to reach out Discord, Telegram, whatever works for you. Let us know if there's something you'd like for us to discuss, if you have something for us to promote, if there's something that you're part of the community may need resources with, or more importantly, if you have goofy questions for our Dear Badgie segment. Okay, thanks, bye.
0: And now for our segment, Dear Badgie, Straight Perspectives on Spotty Questions. This week's question comes from Arlok. Dear Badgie, be honest with me. How many mugs of coffee have you had within the last 24 hours?
5: Oh, thanks for the question, Arlok. Uh, I'll be truthful with you. One. Just one. It's an endless
0: mug, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like a swimming pool.
4: Come on, I was about to say bullshit when I heard that one. <laughs> he finished it good. <laughs> or one of those you know those infinite stews or whatever they call it you, you know there's always something in the pot it's a it's bag like a holding coffee. coffee
6: no i know it's a tardis mug
1: <laughs> i was gonna say we need to get him a mug that has like the little portal on the bottom of it <laughs> <laughs> straight into the coffee pot <laughs> it burns why does it burn badger <laughs> wait why don't we keep coming back to this question
5: the coffee's too hot. <laughs>
1: Spicy
5: bear legs. Oh, no. My lawyer says I can't talk about that deer badgie anymore.
2: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha.
6: Uh-huh.